It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty along with Michael Bronner joining you this afternoon. And as always, we love to hear from you. You can give us a call at 251-694-1055 or you can communicate with us in the app. We always love to hear that app chatter and we'll get right back with you on that. And of course, headlines today. The best record to start Major League Baseball, the Tampa Bay Rays, are now 13-0 with the win today, and they share the best-ever starting record with the Milwaukee Brewers from 1987 and, of course, the 1982 Braves. So I, I think that that's interesting that you can start the Major League Baseball season 13-0 and and have an opportunity to try to break and set that record on tomorrow. And, of course, a lot of... NBA basketball going on with the Chicago Bulls defeating the Raptors last night, 109 to 105. The Bulls were down 19 in the third quarter. Michael Braun and found a way to come back and win that game. And OKC, the Thunder, ended the Pelicans season 123 to 118. And we'll go and talk about whether Zion Williamson is an absolute bust for the Pelicans or not. And been some action at Cottage Hill since yesterday's coaching search. Stacy Luker yesterday decided to go ahead and give the head coaching job back to the Cottage Hill Christian Academy Warriors, but it didn't take them long to go ahead and find a replacement. He was already on staff. Carvel Jones, the defensive coordinator, is now the new head football coach at Cottage Hill Christian Academy, and we'll dip into that a little bit and of course Alabama had their spring game on yesterday excuse me uh, another spring practice on yesterday and Nick Saban didn't come out with guns a-blazing again he just wanted to talk about Alabama being able to finish plays and the mental errors and penalties so we'll hear from Nick Saban about what he felt the guys and the crimson and white got accomplished on yesterday Well, I think both guys have made, you know, really good progress. Uh, we're, you know, not disappointed in anybody's progress. I thought they both played, you know, well in the scrimmage. Um, both guys have had their moments in practice, and they've also had learning opportunities um, when they've made mistakes, and both of them have responded very well and made improvement. Um, so, 
there, there's really no, I don't have an evaluation other than the fact that we're coaching every one of the four quarterbacks that we have in a program every day uh, to try to help them develop to be the best players they can be. And we're going to continue to do that. And hopefully those guys will continue to have the, the right attitude about trying to um, play winning football with the position. And one of the things that sometimes you have to learn that you got to eliminate the bad plays to play winning football. So there's some plays in the game that kill you. So to be able to eliminate those things is, is, is a bigger part of being able to execute all the good things. Uh, and that's what helps you play winning football. You eliminate mistakes and uh, you can execute and take advantage when the opportunity presents itself because you're going to distribute the ball in every down and we don't ever want to turn it over. And you've heard me use the analogy before. We want every series to end in a kick. Might be a punt, might be a field goal, might be an extra point, but we're not turning it over and giving it to the other team. And that's an important part of being able to execute at the quarterback position. Just what you expected from Nick Saban in regards to talking about what he wanted his quarterbacks to accomplish and who would be the leader in the clubhouse. But Michael Bronner, I know for a fact those mental errors and penalties definitely hampered the Crimson Tide a year ago. And it's something that you saw under the Nick Saban era, the most penalized games, plural, that Alabama has had under Nick Saban. And that has to be frustrating because, again, he has said it time and time again, Coach Saban, that is, to where when you start giving up an entire football field worth of penalties, you're not going to give yourself an opportunity to win many games. Yeah, multiple of them. The The Texas game is one that really stands out there. I bet you could probably say it was Will Anderson's worst career game. He took, three, uh, took a couple offsides penalties, took a personal foul in that one. Uh, just overall for the season, uh, it was just a more undisciplined Alabama team, I think, than we're used to seeing, it w which was very unusual and concerning. I, I think that was a reason a lot of people raised the red flag in general is that not only is this Alabama team not dominating teams like uh, like a lot of people are used to, which I think is just a reality of college football in 2023. That that wasn't so much what concerned me with the with the team from 2022. It was more so the lack of discipline and the fact that they were uh, conceding a lot of yards to penalties and just a lot of them being dumb penalties and just mental mistakes. And, uh, it, yeah, so certainly you want that. That is losing football, and, and you would hope that, things would turn around in that specific area this season well, it's going to have to turn around this season and that's one of the reasons that you hear Nick Saban harp on it in his press conference on yesterday and it's not like you don't have an opportunity to get better because those those mental errors you control those and you know whether you get over exuberated and you have a celebration in the end zone okay you know you're going to get chewed out for that and you're going to be missing some of your backside when, if you do that at Alabama. You might as well go ahead and cross the goal line, drop the ball, and be done with it. But the celebration penalties are something that Nick Saban's not going to stand for. But when it's your big-time stars making those mental errors, pass interference, again, it goes back to just playing the correct technique and playing the correct fundamentals and being in the right position to make great plays and to stop explosive plays. I think that that's what's impressive as well. Yeah, I, I mean, that's kind of been a, a staple of the Nick Saban coach team is that they're not going to make mental mistakes that uh, essentially 
hand teams free yards and free yards lead to free points and free points lead to free wins. So uh, not that I felt that really in either of the Tennessee or the LSU losses that uh, uh, the reason being was penalties. But, I mean, in, in games that were close, Texas – I mean, they. I, I believe at the time that was the most penalized game in, in the Nick Saban era, and that game could have been a lot, a lot, uh, a lot more of a blowout than it was. It was a one-point game. So, uh, again, you know, got to clean a lot of those things up this season, and uh, we'll see if it leads to some more dominating performances. Well, will you have a dominating performance from either one of the quarterbacks? And I think that that's something that everyone is keeping an eye on, and I think every single throw, every single snap, that both the quarterbacks take for Alabama on the 22nd are going to be scrutinized and put under a microscope for sure. Yeah, that's the other part of that clip there. Uh, You know Saban's not going to say, yeah, one guy's ahead of the other. Uh, Whether one guy is ahead of the other or not, I I don't know. But, I mean, he says both guys are getting better every day. Uh, But, you know, at at this stage in, we can call it the preseason in the spring, uh, like you said, we, we're we're kind of just trying to get guys to play winning football, and whether that's whether it's Jalen Miller or Ty Simpson at this point. I mean, I think it'd be fair to say let's take the game that Jalen Miller started against Texas A&M, for example. I think he had three or four turnovers in that game. That's losing football. So the first thing a quarterback needs to do is not turn the ball over and not make silly mistakes. So I mean, once you can get that eliminated, I mean, then you can start focusing on. You know, once you can start eliminate losing football, then you can start focusing on focusing on winning football in terms of uh, you know having a successful passing offense and uh, being able to to uh, you know kind of light teams up with with the passing game and in Jalen Milrow's case and also Ty Simpson's case because I think his his ability with his legs is very underrated as well. I think uh, you know a lot of people like to think with this quarterback battle, it's uh, the guy who can run versus the guy who's a pocket passer, and it's really not the case. Ty Simpson, I think, is way quicker than people give him credit for. Uh, and if Jalen Milrow hasn't developed as a passer from last season, well, then there's your answer as to who the starting quarterback is going to be. By all accounts, it seems like uh, Jalen Miller has developed as a passer significantly, and I I should hope so. Otherwise, this quote-unquote competition wouldn't be much of a competition at all. Well, I think that you are going to have a great quarterback competition outside of just this spring game at Alabama. I think that the transfer portal being open on this coming Saturday – I think that, again, we've talked over and over and over again about Auburn's quarterback is probably going to go into the portal or be in the portal and for Hugh Freeze to be able to snatch him one out. At least Nick Saban does not have to worry about going into the portal to find his quarterback. Now, I think that Alabama can find some other depth in the portal starting on Saturday, but this second scrimmage that's getting ready to happen on Saturday for the Crimson Tide prior to what's going to happen on the 22nd for the fans to see. I'm just looking forward to to necess- see who's making the correct mental reads because Milro again, not being a live quarterback, can he make the throws? Can he make the deep throws? Because we know the explosive wide receivers are there for the Alabama Crimson Tide, but who will be able to make those throws given the time and opportunity because, of course, the quarterbacks aren't live. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll talk about the receivers a little bit on the other side of this break, but 
Uh, like you said, I, I think no matter who the quarterback is, I, I think the receiver. I'm very confident in the receiver group. Uh, no matter who the quarterback is, I, I think it's going to depend uh, more on. I, I think no matter who the quarterback is, the receivers are going to elevate them. Uh, but like you said, who who's going to be able to make those throws, make those smart reads, and not play losing football before they start playing winning football? Obviously, you'd love the fact with Milrow that you know he's. Again, like I said, Ty Simpson is no statue, but Jalen Milrow is uh, an absolute athletic freak. Uh, you mean you, you lo- if Milrow can be a, be even a solid passer? I mean, you love the what the threat Milrow brings in the running game that Simpson just doesn't offer. But uh, I, like I said, if if he is what he was when we saw him last year, then Ty Simpson is the better quarterback. Uh, so it, it is what it is at that point. Nick, like I said, Nick Saban is not going to call either of these guys out and, and say, oh, this guy had a bad day and this guy did this wrong and this guy's ahead of this guy in this area. It's just not how he's going to operate things in April, especially with, like you said, the transfer portal window opening. So he doesn't want either of these guys to transfer. Ideally, both of these guys are still on the roster as we move towards fall. I mean, it would stink to have one of them transfer out and then the backup is automatically a freshman no matter who the starter is, uh, which I think Alabama would be okay in that scenario, but I, I, you would prefer to have both of these guys on the roster next year, no doubt about it. Well, it's not just that. I mean, the Alabama receivers that they'll be throwing to, again, you talked about us being able to talk about that on the other side of the break. We'll also have Jim Nagy scheduled to talk about the – Reese's Senior Bowl Hall of Fame inductees will be talking to Jim Nagy at 3.30 and at 4 o'clock. Lindsey Crosby will be talking all things baseball. And again, he's a writer for the Auburn Daily, and he can give us his recap of what he saw from Auburn's A-Day game as well. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Michael Bronner taking your telephone calls, 251-694-1055, or you can correspond with us in the app. This is George Pada, bench coach of the Houston Astros, and you're listening to WNFP. The final drive on WNSP 105.5, Corey LeBounty along with Michael Bronner. Taking your telephone calls, 251-694-1055. And we were talking about Nick Saban and coming into his press conference on yesterday. But what's amazing to me is we'll continue to dive into can King Kirby continue to stay atop the SEC. But Alabama's done a great job in the class of 2025 having another verbal commitment today. Another offensive lineman, Dontrell Glover, six foot three, 290-pound offensive lineman coming out of Georgia again, putting the Crimson Tide ahead of his verbal list in front of Ohio State and Georgia, and he's not the first one. You had one earlier in the week, also Mason Short. He's from Georgia. He committed to, verbally committed to the Crimson Tide on April 2nd, and I know that that's 2025 when you start talking about protection of one Ryan Williams. I think he's another verbal commit for 2025, Ryan Williams being from Saraland High School. So it's evident Nick Saban continues to have the number one recruiting class in the country. And even though this is 2025, 
when you are in the state of Georgia and you're finding that interest in your program, I think that speaks volumes of exactly why the pressure really is on Alabama to knock Georgia off of the top of college football. And when you continue to sign back-to-back number one recruiting classes, that's what's expected. Yeah, I mean, Alabama's going to recruit. <laughs> that, that that we know. So, I mean, I, I would like to think we're going to prevent Georgia from, from three-peating, or at least someone is going to prevent Georgia from, from three-peating. I would go so far as to root for the Ohio States or Clemsons of the world if Alabama's season goes disappointingly again it's it's anyone but georgia at this point from a fan perspective i would say going into this year well what you do have to look at though is what is coming back for alabama and who the two quarterbacks whether it's miro or simpson will be throwing to and one that really intrigued me last year of course jacory brooks has shown what his worth is for alabama but also bond is one of those wide receivers that you didn't hear a lot of. Prentice is another. You saw him get involved early in his explosiveness, but I think when you start looking at one of the strengths for Alabama, not necessarily the offensive line, not necessarily the running backs room, but I think there's more depth at wide receiver than really anywhere. I think the wide receiver, and I'll I'll send a link uh, to what I wrote the other day in the app, but I think the wide receiver group is probably the most underrated positioning group on the entire roster offense or defense I mean you return pretty much the entire group from last season and then you add this Juco I don't I don't want to say superstar he was a superstar Juco uh Malik Benson from Hutchinson County College in Kansas and if he's as advertised I mean we'll have Stephen M. Smith at at, on a five o'clock I believe he's one of the people who thinks uh this kid can be the next great Alabama receiver so we'll see but, I mean, if he's as advertised and the group is what it is, I mean, you you lose JoJo Earl and Christian Leary, which is fine because he kind of had five guys in the slot like that who, you know, are short and quick and can all do the same thing. So you still bring back, like you said, Isaiah Bond, Kobe Prentice, and uh, as well as Kendrick Law, who, who had some nice moments as well last season. They lost Aaron Anderson to LSU as well. But on the outside, you bring back Ja'Cory Brooks and Jermaine Burton. Jermaine Burton, who had his moments last year where he looked okay. He was frustrating at times, but I think he certainly had his best game of the season in the Sugar Bowl against Kansas State. It was kind of the Jermaine Burton game a little bit. Ja'Cory Brooks is that steady uh, guy you need in the receiving core. I think he was the most talented receiver on the team last year, which probably is why the, the receiving core underproduced a little bit I, I as much as i love jacory brooks i don't know if he's that number one guy at least by alabama standards he, he is coming back yeah no, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a huge fan of of, of jacory brooks uh but if malik benson is that dude i mean this, this is a really 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 good wide receiver room well that's what that's why i say that the most depth for alabama is not on the defensive line it's not in the secondary it's not on the offensive line. To me, it's really at the wide receiver room. And that's why I think the quarterback position has been under a microscope so so much. But when you have Jermaine Burton and Ja'Cory Brooks coming back, I mean, the two combined for 79 catches, 1,350 yards, and 15 touchdowns. But their experience, I think, is what's going to be so important for Nick Saban and Tommy Reese and this offense 
that's really going to have to show, again, not three yards in a cloud of dust, but can they have explosive plays offensively from a new quarterback? And we've talked about this before. It, it really did feel like the offense in the first ha- first quarter and a half of that Arkansas game, right before Bryce Young got hurt, was just starting to click and just starting to find. I, I mean, Bryce Young dropped that beautiful deep ball to Isaiah Bond that got him down to like the two yard line. They ended up scoring a touchdown. It felt like right there was the moment. All right, this offense, and and I understand Arkansas's pass defense was was pretty atrocious, but that all being said, it, it felt like it was always going to be a process with that group of receivers just based on experience and then after Bryce got hurt yes he came back for the Tennessee game but I mean he was on a pitch count in practice for the rest of the season so as for how much Bryce was able able to actually build up chemistry with these guys for the rest of the season I think it probably threw things off the entire year in that they just weren't able to get all as many reps as they normally would have with a guy with a fully healthy shoulder I I'm not saying that as an excuse I'm just saying that as a fact I, I don't think that they were able to build up the same level of chemistry as they would have had Bryce not gotten injured. Uh, but I think that this year, obviously, you take a step down at quarterback. Bryce Young's the greatest quarterback to ever put on Crimson. But even though you do take a step back at quarterback, I think the continued development of this wide receiver group is going to really help out whoever is starting week one. Well, it's not just as far as the wide receiver that that we have talked about not only the, today, but I think that Nick Saban yesterday touched about some of his coaches that I think are going to play a huge role, whether it's on-field coaching or off-field coaching. And ha-ha Clinton Dix, one of those players that he has a role outside of football as player development staff. Nick Saban wants his players to be very well-rounded. And I think that players tend to gravitate toward those who have ultimately not only put on the crimson and white and been an All-American, have gone on and had a successful NFL career and where a lot of these guys are aspiring to go and to be. But to be able to have someone, it was funny when HaHa got the job, he said, well, nothing's changed. I just got a Nick Saban a chewing and with that's not even as a on-field coaching role that's as a player development role but I, I think that haha Clinton Dix can definitely make a difference on Nick Saban's staff for this defensive secondary that's going to have to step up to the plate and not only not have so many mental errors this season but actually go ahead and have some takeaways as well yeah I think Saban kind of said the other day that haha and and the others as well are kind of helping out in basically everything besides football like they're not on-field coaches and they're not probably coaching up on technique during practice but there's a lot more to being a uh, division one athlete at the highest level than than just that so uh to bring it like you said to to bring in a former guy like that who's been through it in crimson and then ultimately been to where these guys all want to be is uh is absolutely invaluable well ken winston hunt another one of those guys former nfl head coach that is bringing valuable information because at the end of the day you have the national champion two-time national champion in georgia and that's who ultimately you want to try to face or you think you're going to see at the end of the year 
you, you just have to have great personnel. And Nick Saban's done a tremendous job of continuing to bring in great personnel. And speaking of personnel, Jim Nagy, two weeks away from seeing how many Reese's Senior Bowl players will be drafted in the 2023 NFL Draft. And we'll talk to Jim Nagy next. My name is Robert Brazil. I'm from the class of 2018 Pro Football Hall of Fame. You're listening to WNSP. The final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Brauner joining you this afternoon and two weeks away from the 2023 NFL Draft. And I know that as we get a little bit closer and closer to it, Jim Nagy, the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, joins us this afternoon. And, of course, as just so happens, we're having Jim Nagy on this afternoon. The Senior Bowl announces its Hall of Fame class for 2023. And I know that has to get you a, a lot of excitement around the office today, Jim. Yeah, Corey, good to be on, Michael. Uh, good to be on with you guys. Yeah, we're excited, man. Um, good timing for this. Uh, you, you guys reached out a few days ago, and I didn't know if we were going to be uh, announcing the Hall of Fame class yet. So, uh, you know, we did that this morning. We kind of fed it to the guys at the NFL Network, and uh, it was great. They spent like five minutes on it on Good Morning Football, which is like their highest-rated highest, highest rated show that they've got on that network. So, yeah, really good class, really good class. We got uh, – you know, kind of start at the top. You know, we got Chris Johnson, the former Tennessee Titans running back, who, uh, you know, went over 2,000 yards one year, uh, had like four straight, five straight thousand yard seasons. Uh, one of the best players in that franchise history. We got Lane Johnson, who's a reigning first team All Pro from the Philadelphia Eagles, who was the fourth pick uh, in the draft coming out of Oklahoma back, and I think that was the 2012 draft. Um, and we got Clay Matthews, kind of the iconic Green Bay Packer outside linebacker who played in the Senior Bowl with uh, his two teammates, uh, Matt Cushing, who was a, a fellow first-round pick like, uh, like Clay was, and, uh, and Ray Malauga, who was a second-round pick to the Cincinnati Bengals. Um, you know, so we got, those, we got Brian Westbrook, a running back from the Philadelphia Eagles back in the 2000s. Um, great player for them, first-team All-Pro a couple times. So, uh, yeah, really, really fun class to put together. And the, and the last guy's Marshall Yonda, a guard from the Baltimore Ravens, who, you know, you dig into these guys' backgrounds a little bit. I was putting together the bio for the, the press release, and, and Yonda made like eight Pro Bowls or nine Pro Bowls and was first or second team all pro like six times. So um, definitely a resume for Canton. I mean, he'll, he'll probably be going to Canton someday. So uh, yeah, it's always a fun day, always a big announcement. Uh, and it was cool kind of, kind of partnering uh, with the NFL Network on that this morning. Also, you have NFL Defensive Rookie of the Year in Houston, Texas, running back Damian Pierce and Green Bay Packers wide receiver Christian Watson, 2022 NFL Co-Offensive Rookies of the Year. Yeah, yeah, the Rookies of the Year, man, that was a tough one. Um, so Tariq Woolen on defense was pretty easy. He, he tied for the league lead with six interceptions, so that was uh, – that was kind of a no-brainer. You know, he got he got beat out by Sauce Gardner of the, of the New York Jets uh, for the for the NFL uh, Defensive Rookie of the Year. But Tariq was a pretty easy one for us. And then on offense, yeah, those those two guys. I mean, Damian was was the bell cow for the Houston Texans. He he missed the last four games of the year, and he finished with almost a thousand yards, like nine 
940, somewhere right in that range. I mean, he would have, he you know, blown by 1,000 yards had he stayed healthy uh, and been able to finish off the year. And then, and then uh, you know, Christian Watson for the Packers, he uh, – you know, he finished up really strong. He he started the year with a, a really tough drop at a nationally televised game against the Vikings on his really really like his first his first target of his NFL career, dropped a, a big deep ball and then bounced back. Second half of the year, um, he tied for the rookie lead with nine touchdowns. Uh, tied for the rookie lead with seven receiving touchdowns. So, looks like he's going to be uh, a really good player for Green Bay moving forward. So, those guys were our, our, our co-offensive rookies of the year. Uh, along with Tariq on the defensive side. Well, Jim, this is a, a great situation for the players to be honored at the annual induction ceremony on June 25th at the Grand Hotel Golf Club in Spine Point Clear, and it's presented by Spire. But with that being said, what I love as well is when you look at the golf tournament that the proceeds from the golf tournament benefit the Mobile Baldwin Athletic Partnership that was established in 2021 and it helps so many of these football programs in Mobile and Baldwin County with everything from cleats to jerseys to sleds and to technology and I think that's one of the great turnarounds that you've been able to implement here in the Reese's Senior Bowl and with this tournament as well. Yeah, that's it. Uh, I appreciate you bringing that up. Uh, Corey is, is the charity aspect of the golf event. Uh, last year, we raised sixty-five thousand dollars through the golf event and uh, and gave um, five thousand dollars each to thirteen of our, you know, kind of uh, you know programs that need in the area, the high school programs, and and so that five thousand dollars can be applied to whatever they need it for. Every school has a different need, and uh, you know sometimes it's sometimes it's uniforms or, or cleats or pads, or sometimes it's blocking sleds or. Uh, you know, I think I think someone bought a drone. Um, so there's there's uh, there's a lot of need out there, um, and it's our job with the, with the platform that we have here at the Senior Bowl to, to try to uh, you know I've said it, said it a lot since taking the job here five years ago. Our, our, our one of our missions is to really support all levels of football in the community, and that in that you know, and, and a big focus of that is high school. Uh, you know, we we, we, we always want to be there to support our local local high school coaches and and our players, and and uh, five thousand dollars goes a long way. So uh, we're looking forward to uh, having the having the golf tournament again this year, and and spread that money around and uh, and help these programs the best we can. Jim, with the draft just over two weeks away now, obviously we 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 couldn't get Bryce Young down here to the Senior Bowl, but a lot has been made. You know, there's been an odd shift with uh, a, the expectation that Bryce is going to go first overall. What what are your thoughts on that at this point? Yeah, I mean, I, he would have been the guy that I would have thought all along. Um, one, one. I think he's the best quarterback in the draft. But, but again, when the Carolina Panthers started to do their their little uh, the jet setting around the country, going to the different pro days, that that one week we had uh, Ohio State with C.J. Stroud on a Wednesday. Uh, it was up in Tuscaloosa with Bryce on on Thursday, and then Will Levis's workout in Lexington on Friday. And and uh, when the Panthers, you know, fueled up the two jets and they went around, I think they had 14 people in their traveling party. Um, and when I saw David Tepper, the owner, and his wife in, in Tuscaloosa, knowing that you know he was going to go upstairs and uh, meet with Nick Saban and sit in Nick Saban's office and, and talk about Bryce Young, I just I, I don't see there's any way that a guy that you know is as competitive uh, and as accomplished in his life as David Tepper is um, would sit in an office with Nick Saban and, and that mutual respect factor between two highly successful men. 
um, that, that, that I think it's going to be hard to convince David Tepper that Bryce Young's not his guy. So, um, again, they need, they, need, they need a quarterback. It's an obvious need. Uh, I've not spoken to any of my guys in Carolina about that. I'm, I'm, I'm good friends with their general manager. I've left him alone. I don't want him to feel like I'm, I'm prying into his business. But that's just, that's just me. That's just my take on it. Um, I just think with, uh, with David Tepper having some influence on the decision and, and uh, getting that insight from, from you know, Coach Saban and then and obviously Bryce being the player that Bryce is, I just think that makes the most sense. Well, as we continue to be two weeks away from this NFL draft, what, what Reese's Senior Bowl player, if you just had a mock draft of your own going on, would you think would be the first Reese's Senior Bowl player off of the board? It sounds right now it's, it's trending towards it's going to be Darnell Wright, uh, the right tackle from, from Tennessee. Uh, you know, I think Tide fans will, at least any of that, that paid close attention to that game, it's hard to watch, you know, pay attention to the trench play when you're watching the TV. But if you watch the tape of the Alabama-Tennessee game on Darnell Wright, he got after Will Anderson um, more than any player's ever gotten after Will Anderson before. So that, that's kind of where he started his ascent. Um, it came down here and, and was probably a second round pick by, you know, most teams. Uh, and that's where we had him graded in the second round, uh, made a huge jump for us. We had a late round grade on him off his, off his junior stuff in the summer. Uh, and then he went to the combine, had a good time, got a good week there, tested well, tested, I think a little better than, than what teams maybe thought. Um, and now uh, you're seeing him mocked inside the top 10 and maybe nine of the Chicago bears. Uh, and they've got a, they have a right tackle, right tackle need. Um, so that one would make sense. So right now it's looking like Darnell Wright. Talking to Jim Nagy, executive, executive director of the senior bowl. Jim, uh, we had Ekuliota and Derek Hall down from Auburn. What, uh, are you hearing if anything on these guys draft stock? Yeah, you know, Eku got hurt by the fact that he, uh, you know, he injured himself after the Senior Bowl. At least he got his whole Senior Bowl experience in, but he, he wasn't able to do anything at Combine. Uh, we were up at Auburn for the pro day and, and got to catch up with him. Our staff was up there, caught up with him a little bit. Um, and he hasn't been able to get any work in, which is unfortunate because he was, you know, he was hurt during the season, uh, basically missed the entire year. And, and really all he's had in the last, like, six, seven months is a senior bowl. So um, I still think he'll get drafted. He's a talented guy. He's athletic. Uh, unfortunately, he would have been able to show all that athletic stuff in, in workouts and stuff, and he wasn't able to do that. Um, Derek, I think, is going to be sitting in exactly the same position Roger McCreary was last year when he was at our draft party. Um, I think he's, he's got a, you know, Roger, I thought was going to be a late first, early second. Um, he ended up sitting it through our draft party and not getting picked. And I, I told him before we left that night that I didn't think it would be long before his phone rang the next night. And, and, and I think it was like three picks into the second round or four picks into the second round. Um, he, he went, and I think that uh, Derek's right in that same range. I think he'll go late one, early two. Um, if he's not picked in the first round, I think he's going to be a guy that a lot of teams are targeting to either take quickly in the second round or trade up for in the second round. So, yeah, both those guys are, are good players. Uh, unfortunately for Eku, like he just he wasn't able to see the whole process through. One of the great things about the Reese's Senior Bowl is the number of players that actually are drafted and even find their way into free agency if that's the case. And sometimes you make the best of coming to the Reese's Senior Bowl, even if you're not able to participate, whether it's due to injury or you just decide to have one good day and decide to kind of throttle back due to your, your agent's information. Hendon Hooker, I think, is one of those guys that really found a way, even though he had the injury 
and the torn knee to, to just find a way to talk to personnel. And what better place to do it here than in Mobile, Alabama at the Reese's Senior Bowl? Yeah, Corey, that was a that was kind of a one off for us, you know. Like we we we've never invited, at least in, in my five years at the game, we've never invited an injured player down here. Definitely don't want to make a habit of it. You got to guys, you got to have guys that want to come down here and compete on the field. But but this was a unique case. I mean, Hendon was it was one of the faces of college football this year. Um, you know, had Tennessee in a great spot before he got hurt. Probably would have been not probably. I mean, he was pretty much a lock to in New York for the Heisman Trophy um, ceremony had he stayed healthy. And, and again, quarterbacks are a little different. Uh, they can benefit so much from interview time and uh, time in the meeting room with the, with the coaching staff down here, and, and he did that. So I, I just we felt compelled to bring him, let him take advantage of it. And, and now, you know, we've got this streak of like seven straight years of the first-round quarterback that looked like it was all but dead. Um, and and um, now you got people mocking Hendon Hooker in the first round. That would be awesome if we were able to keep that streak alive with Hendon. But uh, I hope the best for him, man. He's, he's, he's a great young man. He's really impressive. Um, and I just hope he gets – I hope he lands in a spot where he gets a really good opportunity because that's, that's a huge part of the quarterback thing is just landing in a spot where you get a good, where you get a good chance. Well, I want to ask you about Hendon specifically. And, again, like, like you said, we didn't have the chance to see him play in Mobile. But – I, where do you evaluate him as compared? I, I think Bryce and CJ are pretty consensus, the one and two guys. But after that, it's there's a lot of uh, debate between Anthony Richardson, Will Levis. Personally, I have Hooker over the other t- uh, over uh, third behind the other, over the other two. And uh, I'm just curious, like w- where how you evaluate production versus traits in a quarterback. Oh, how much time do we got? Is this going to be like a 45-minute phone call? As much as you um, want. <laughs> no, no I, I appreciate the question. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, I think that most teams see Hendon in, in that uh, that Levis-Richardson group. I, Richardson, to me, is, is, is really the intriguing one because I do see the upside. I mean, this guy's physical tools are off the charts, and we didn't, I didn't get a chance to, you know, watch a lot of Anthony Richardson during the fall. Saw him at the Manning camp, but, you know, we circled back and watched a lot of these juniors over the last month or so, and, and uh, I don't think he's as raw as, as a lot of people are putting it out there to be. I think I think you could get Anthony Richardson on the field by the end of his rookie year, and you know get him going into year two the way the Chiefs did with Patrick Mahomes. I just I think the upside's tremendous with that kid. I mean, it's it's hard though. He's only played 30, he's only started 13 games, so you're you're just dealing with such a small sample size. But um, you know, again, the tape is the tape. Yeah, the hard part with Hendon is the offense he's coming from. It's it's really apples you know apples to oranges comparison to what he's going to see in the NFL. Uh, you know, to Josh Heupel's credit up there, the head coach, he, he does such an incredible job of scheming offense that you don't see Hendon have to make a lot of tight window throws. Like, it's a lot of pitch and catch stuff in that offense. So, I mean, the quarterback position is really hard to evaluate for the next level. There's so many things that come into play. And what, what's hard for us right now, for the people on the outside, is, like, we're not privy to all the interviews and how these guys are doing in the meetings. And when you when you go watch tape with them and get them on the board and talk X's and O's and how they do in that manner, we don't really know how their teammates feel about them and, you know, how the coaches feel about them. And that, that those things are, are huge at every position, but but none more so than quarterback. So uh, it's hard, man. It's, it's a really hard position to evaluate. And that's why you see so many so many teams get it wrong in the draft when it comes to it when it comes to that spot two of the more exciting players to me Tajay Spears from Tulane and of course Cody Mock the offensive lineman from North Dakota State really had an opportunity not only to make their names known to really explode right here in Mobile Alabama at the Reese's Senior Bowl and I, I think that I'm looking forward to seeing where these two guys fall in the draft 
Yeah, Taj is going to be here. He's going to be our guest of honor at our draft party on, on Thursday night, the, the first night of the draft. So that'll be fun. Taj is going to have his whole family over here from Louisiana, and uh, so it's going to be fun. And, uh, you know, he had a heck of a week. Um, he was obviously the, the obviously the best player here. He was voted the overall practice player of the week. Um, turned a lot, you know, opened a lot of eyes. I think that, you know, when you play in – when you play in a, a group of five conference, you, you might not get quite the respect that you deserve. Um, and But him coming down here and showing out like he did, um, both in practice and in the game. Um, I mean, he was a guy that his agent was trying to pull him out of the game and was trying to get him not to play. And Tajay called me Saturday morning and he, he said, you know, coach, I'm, I'm, go, I'm playing. Like, I know my agent doesn't want me to, but I'm going to play. So, um, and I think that speaks volumes to Tajay's competitiveness. So, yeah, man, he, he, made his, he made his mark down here. And, and, and I don't think he gets out of day two. I think he's probably going to go somewhere in the second round uh, if the injury thing doesn't affect him too much. You know, he's, he's had two ACL injuries, which is – crazy to think when you watch a guy cut the way he cuts um and then cody mock you brought him up from north dakota state uh, the offensive lineman he's he's really the only five position offensive lineman in this draft um he proved here that he could play guard and center he'd only really been a tackle on tape in college and um he looked really good at guard and center down here so again if i were if i were gm he would be going in the first round because i would draft him i don't know if he's going to go there um he's probably going to you know go somewhere in the top 50 picks um i don't think it's a slam dunk he goes in the first but again if, if, if i were picking late in the first round he would be my pick he's he's got everything you want um he's out, he's highly athletic he's nasty um he's got a lot of versatility so uh cody's going to be a great player at the next level jim Nagy, executive director of the reese's senior bowl joining us here on the final drive jim i can't thank you enough for taking time to introduce the senior bowl hall of fame class to our listeners here on wnsp and talk about where the proceeds go and give us some great insight that only the executive director can do so thanks again for your time and we look forward to talking to you real soon all right Corey, thanks for having me on see you michael thanks jim Jim Nagy, Executive Director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, joining us this afternoon on The Final Drive on WNSP. Hey, this is Jimmy Ripple from Gator Boys, and you're listening to WNSP on 105.5. Welcome back to The Final Drive here on WNSP 105.5. I want to thank Jim Nagy for joining us this afternoon in at 5 o'clock on our Tide and Tiger Report, Stephen M. Smith from Touchdown Alabama Magazine will be joining us. And, of course, Mr. Football in the state of Alabama, former Auburn Tiger and Blunt Leopard, DeMarco McNeil will be joining us in the Tide and Tiger Report along with Stephen M. Smith. So you don't want to miss that right around the 5 o'clock hour. And, of course, earlier today, College Hill finds the replacement for Stacey Luker and defensive coordinator Carvel Jones. So he'll be the new College Hill Christian Academy head football coach. And also today, the Tampa Bay Rays, 13-0, have the best start tied in Major League Baseball history with the Milwaukee Brewers in 87 and the 82 Braves. So the, the Rays doing some things that a lot of people didn't think that they would do to start the Major League Baseball season. And coming up at 4 o'clock, we have Lindsey Crosby to talk a little bit of Auburn Tigers and some Major League Baseball as well as he's well-versed 
in those areas. So look forward to talking to Lindsey Crosby. And again, we've already talked about Major League Baseball's pitch clock and what's going on with that. The beer sales have extended to the eighth inning instead of ending in the seventh, and that's caused a little bit of controversy. We'll talk about that the next hour as well. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labonte and Michael Braun are joining you. From Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Bronner joining you this afternoon. And, you know, we've all looking forward to the Alabama-Auburn Iron Bowl. And, of course, anytime Auburn and Alabama play in anything, it's always one of those heated rivalries between the two schools. And, of course, the two schools will play one another starting tomorrow in a weekend series, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday in Tuscaloosa, take on the Auburn Tigers. The Crimson Tide does, and who better to talk about that rivalry than Lindsey Crosby joining us this afternoon on the final drive. Lindsey, how's it going, my brother? Uh, Things are going well, Court. Thanks for having me. Looking forward to the Iron Bowl of baseball this weekend. See, we had this discussion when we were in basketball season. We're trying to find that new name for the rivalry outside of football because, again, the Iron Bowl, of course, is synonymous with what goes on in November with Alabama and Auburn. But what do we name it in basketball? What do we name it in baseball or gymnastics when you have Alabama and Auburn taking on one another? You know, I hadn't really thought about what else to call it. I guess you'd have to incorporate diamond into the name somehow to delineate baseball. I mean, but really, this is, I mean, it's just, you don't even need a name. It's just, it's Auburn, Alabama. Everybody knows it's a big deal. I never thought about what to call this, though. I, we, we just go with Iron Bowl of whatever. We got the Iron, Bowl Iron, of di- the Iron Diamond this weekend. I like it, Lindsay. The, the Iron Diamond. The Iron Diamond matchup this weekend. There you go. Well, you know, when you look at the overall records, Alabama is coming in with a better record than Auburn, and things have been a little bit Mm -hmm. disappointing for Auburn. But here's a chance for them to go into Tuscaloosa, Alabama, and try to take two or three away from the Crimson Tide this weekend. Yeah, and it's it's all going to come back to the pitching for Auburn. Uh, 
as much as you know this is a big matchup, you have to deal with the opponent, you have to figure it out for yourself. The last seven games Auburn's played against Power 5 schools, so the Florida series, Texas A&M series, and Georgia Tech, uh, Auburn won two of those games, but Auburn walked almost 60 batters in those seven games. And so it, like, it, it's tough enough to beat Alabama in Tuscaloosa. You've got Luke Holman on the mound on Friday. You've got Grayson Hitt on the mound on Saturday. Grayson Hitt's getting a lot of talk about, you know, top three rounds in the draft, top two rounds in the draft. But it doesn't matter how, how good those pitchers are if you're just going to walk a bunch of opposing batters. So Auburn's got to figure out their rotation. They've got Tommy Vale and Drew Nelson on Friday and Saturday. And they've got to hope that they can they, – they need to get two games because standing-wise, they need to have the tiebreaker over Alabama. They're both 4-8 and eight in the conference, and it feels like this is going to be the big deciding factor about when it comes to Hoover, who is in and who is not. Well, that's what it boils down to. So many great SEC baseball teams, and we've talked about that in the preseason rankings to where I think maybe eight out of the top ten or something ridiculous like that. But when you start looking outside of the SEC, um, really – who has an opportunity to, to, to knock off possibly the LSU Tigers? Vanderbilt's been playing great baseball. They were undefeated until this past weekend as far as conference play. But I, I think is LSU really going to be the team to beat or, or is it going to be in Alabama or another sneaker in the Southeastern Conference? So to me, it feels like you're looking at LSU, Arkansas, and then the East. And I'm really worried that everybody is overlooking the schools in the East because they've all had to play each other. And so the records aren't as impressive as the record for somebody like an LSU. But when you, I mean, Vanderbilt, South Carolina has been very impressive. Kentucky has been very impressive. And then Florida has a monster rotation, which is a big thing uh, that obviously comes up when you get to the postseason. I think, if you watch the results of Vanderbilt, South Carolina, if, if South Carolina can handle Vanderbilt's pitching, then South Carolina is going to be a good threat to knock off LSU. You saw what they did against Schemes. They hit two home runs against him early when South Carolina and LSU played, and they got some wins there. Uh, if, if South Carolina can do it against Vanderbilt, I'm going to be pretty confident that they're probably the team to beat in the SEC despite LSU being ranked number one overall. Who needs this series more this weekend, Lindsay, Auburn or Alabama? 100% it's Auburn. Auburn doesn't have the momentum that Alabama has had because of the heartbreaking ways that Auburn has lost some of their games. I mean, walk-off grand slam in extra innings is a tough way to lose a game. Uh, Auburn still has a very tough schedule coming up. They have very good teams that they have to go play still, and most of those tough matchups, with the exception of LSU, are going to be on the road. And so this is a series that Auburn has to win the series, one, to get that tiebreaker, but then two, to get some momentum, knowing that you still have to deal with some of these uh, great road matchups coming up, including, you know, you have to, and the one that's at home is LSU, which is not, not a good matchup for anybody. So Auburn definitely needs this more, I would say, than Alabama does. Well, outside of that Alabama Auburn matchup Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We've had some great baseball being played by the Tampa Bay Rays. They're 13-0 and with a win today, and I don't think anyone 
was at the beginning of the Major League Baseball season thinking that the 82 Atlanta Braves or the 87 Milwaukee Brewers record was going to be in any type of jeopardy? Listen, the, the two stats that are the wildest to me about this Tampa Bay Rays streak that they're on is, one, they've hit more home runs than they've allowed runs. They've hit 32 home runs, and they've allowed 30 runs. But as wild as that is, I think the bigger stat that we all should be aware of is Tampa Bay is 12-1 and one against the spread this year. Maybe we should have paid a little more attention to, to, to that going into the year. It's, they've gotten fantastic contributions from their pitchers. They called up top prospect Taj Bradley. He looked fantastic. Five innings, only three runs. Uh, I'm a little bit worried about whenever you see a pitcher leave with injury like you saw today, uh, it's a little bit nerve-wracking. But whether it's the bullpen, whether it's the rotation, they've, they've, they have the pitching to go deep into October. Uh, and they're so analytically inclined, they're putting guys in the best positions to be successful. Brandon Lau, Playing second base leads the team in home runs with five. They've done a really good job about watching the platoon matchups with him and not putting him in bad situations. Manny Margot and Jose Siri both playing in center field, kind of swapping out time while Siri was healthy. Isaac Perez is moving around the infield. And then a ton of prospects waiting in the wings if they ever need reinforcements. It's kind of a juggernaut, and it kind of snuck up on a lot of us because I think we had the Rays maybe at best being third in the East, but they are easily tops in all of baseball right now on the power rankings and definitely a force to be reckoned with the bats for the braves have cooled down a little bit since the last time we spoke Lindsay. yeah it's something the braves have had so many injuries as far as they lose michael harris they lose travis darno the biggest issue to me though and we talked about this some at bravestoday.com is how bad marcel ozuna has been he's got three hits on the season batting average of 0.081 Uh, He actually has a lower OPS and lower batting average than a lot of what Atlanta's pitchers have done in the last couple seasons that they were allowed to hit. And so uh, Atlanta's got to figure out what to do with the DH spot because right now it's in essence an automatic out. And when you have guys like Ozzy Albies coming back from offseason shoulder surgery, still not 100%, as long as you have guys like Michael Harris still on the IL, Travis Darno, who was one of your hottest hitters when he was healthy on the IL, you've got to have better contributions from the bottom part of the lineup. But specifically, the guy whose job it is to do nothing but hit needs to actually hit or you need to replace him. And right now, Atlanta has 32 million reasons to leave him on the roster, but they've got to figure something out because that's a, it's a black hole at the bottom of the lineup. And once you finish this weekend series with the Royals, you got to go to San Diego and get a rematch with the Padres, and they beat you three games to one the last time you faced them this season. So big test coming up. You need Max Free to be back and healthy, and you've got to figure out the bats, get them hot to go in San Diego and take on the Padres. Atlanta 9-4 and four, still leading the National League East, and I think that you know them staying atop of the Mets – Uh, or any other, the Phillies. I think the Phillies can get hot at any point in time, and I know it's still early, and again, the Rays have really dominated national talk with their win today, and we just talked about them and and their surprise for the entire country, but any other surprises going into Major League Baseball outside of the pitch clock speeding the game up tremendously? I think as a whole, the fans are happy about that, and even those who are paying 
to to get their beer sales extended to the eighth inning instead of the seventh because of how fast Major League Baseball is going now. I think some of the some of the big stories, like you said, pitch clock, the alcohol sales being extended. Uh, when it comes to performance on the field, I've been surprised by the ineffectiveness of the Mets starting pitching. They have an older rotation. I think everybody in there, maybe minus Cody Singa, is over the age of 30 or 32. Uh, Verlander's still injured. Scherzer's not necessarily been himself. And you mentioned the pitch clock. Scherzer tied it right back to the pitch clock. He said now that he's a little bit older, he's in his lower 40s, which is ancient in baseball, he's not as easily able to rebound in that 18 or 20 seconds and be ready to deliver the next pitch at full intensity. And so you're definitely seeing the teams that have the older rotations struggle a bit early this year. The Cardinals are another team losing record right now, struggling with that. The Phillies losing record right now, still trying to figure that out. So it's definitely interesting how the pitch clock has made things better for the fans, but it has hurt some teams just because their pitchers being a little bit older can't quite rebound as as easily as a young team like the Braves can. Well, Lindsay, we'll continue to work on trying to put a patent on that Auburn-Alabama rivalry again Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. The Auburn Tigers traveling to Tuscaloosa for a three-game series that is a critical one for really Mm -hmm. both of these teams. And we'll work on trying to put a name on that. And when we talk to you again next week, we'll see if we've come up with anything or you've come up with anything. Because, again, we've talked about it from a football standpoint, being the Iron Bowl, but we've tried to break it down in basketball, gymnastics, and just try to have a sub-name for the Alabama-Auburn rivalry that is one of the greatest in the country. I'm going to talk to the press box about that and see if we can collectively come up with something for you. Thanks for having me, Corey. You got it. Now, how can people follow all of your great coverage (laughs) and to see what's going on with not only the Auburn Tigers, but the Atlanta Braves as well? I'm so glad you asked. I'm on Twitter at Crosby Baseball. That's the hub for everything. The Auburn baseball writing, auburndaily.com. The Atlanta Braves writing, bravestoday.com. And if you're interested in minor league baseball, I'm the host of Locked and MLB Prospects, wherever you get your podcasts and on YouTube. Lindsey Crosby joining us this afternoon on the final drive. Thank you so much for your time, and we look forward to talking to you again next week. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5. What name would you come up? We had some pretty creative names for the Alabama-Auburn basketball series, but what would you call the baseball series? I like the Iron Diamond. The Iron Diamond is what Michael Bronner is going to go with. And I I still think outside of football, of course, that being the Iron Bowl, every Alabama-Auburn series whether it's golf tennis doesn't matter they should have their own name independent of the iron bowl because that that's synonymous with football for sure the final drive here on wnsp 105.5 with Corey labonte and michael braun Hi, this is Monty Burke, author of Saban, The Making of a Coach. You're listening to WNSP Sports Radio 105.5 FM. The final drive on WNSP 105.5. Michael Bronner taking your telephone calls, 251-694-1055, along with interacting with everyone in the app. And 
you know, what is the going price for an NFL franchise? Well, a couple of, of months ago or back in August, $4.65 billion Walmart heirs Rob Walton went ahead and bought the Denver Broncos. But it looks like a $6 billion deal is in the works to get Dan Snyder completely and totally out of the National Football League as Josh Harris, along with his partner, Magic Johnson. Of course, Harris, he already owns the Philadelphia 76ers and the New Jersey Devils. So you have an NBA franchise, an NHL franchise, and about to add an NFL franchise for $6 billion. And what I find interesting is Tillman Fertitta, the Fertitta Center that is where the Houston Cougars play all their collegiate basketball games. He's also the owner of the Houston Rockets. He decided that his bid was for $5.6 billion. Got a little too rich for his blood, and <laughs> looks like $6 billion is where it's going to end. That last $400 million, he, he just couldn't couldn't scrape up that last $400 million, huh? Couldn't get it done, and that, that part is interesting. And I know Magic Johnson, you know, with him being uh, having ownership rights in the Dodgers, and $6 billion, of course, you, you, you are going to have to have collective pockets with that. But the commanders, will new ownership make this a less toxic franchise? Will this make the Washington commanders, formerly the Washington Redskins, a playoff contender with new ownership? I mean, I don't know how much ownership is a direct correlation to playoff contention in a sport like football where there's a salary cap and all these teams are spending the same amount of money when you when you ask it's not like it's baseball where teams have a payroll that's determined by directly how much money the owner has and I look at the Mets and Steve Cohen in the past couple years the Mets have started actually spending money because well they have by far the richest owner in the sport uh the richest owner in sports as a whole for that matter uh but that being said, to your question, if it'll be a less toxic franchise, I mean, I should hope so, based on some of the things that have come out regarding Dan Snyder and, and the commanders. It, it, it hasn't been good. It, it sounds like it hasn't been a good place to w work, especially if, if you're a female. And, uh, you know, I, I should hope that things are going to be a lot better in Washington. And I, I don't know. I mean, I hopefully eventually they turn things around on the football field as well. Washington, I mean, 8-8, eight and eight, it's not like they were a franchise that in their division, I mean, Philadelphia, of course, ran away with it being 14-3 and three, and the Cowboys at 12-5, and five, but 9-7, and seven, the Giants, and 8-8, eight and eight, they Washington. Won, they won it two years ago. I mean, they haven't had a repeat winner in that division in a long time now. I think, I think like 20 years. So your personnel is there, but I, I think that new ownership – can go ahead and get the rest. And it, and it still has to be approved by the o other owners. And three-quarters of NFL ownership have to go ahead and approve this in May. But $6 billion, and it will set the record for the most expensive team 
in league history. And if you were to tell me that that would be the Washington Commanders, I probably wouldn't believe you in regards to, to that. Yeah, I mean, it's a historic franchise and just the fact that it's being sold in the year of 2023. Like, there are teams worth a lot more than the Washington Commanders are, but that aren't being sold. Like, say, hypothetically, the Cowboys were sold tomorrow. This isn't going to happen, but if the Cowboys were sold tomorrow, they'd probably sell for $10 billion or more. Uh, that's just what the situation is with selling a team in 2023. They're worth a lot more than the last time they changed hands, so... I know a lot of people would love for Jerry Jones to to <laughs> sell, but you know that's going to stay in the never, Jones never family. Gonna no, it's going to it's going to be a generational situation for Jerry Jones, and if he ever gives up ownership, he'll be one of those that if his family members were to sell it and Jerry Jones passed away, he he would rise up, and I guarantee that wouldn't make a lot of people happy. But with, with the Cowboys situation, I, I think that new ownership is what people have been begging for, but. I think that one of the people who turned away from the commanders and owning them was Amazon founder Jeff Bezos. And, hmm. and anytime he says, you know, he richest guy on the planet, and he could have easily went ahead and forked that over, but he decided to pass. So we'll, we'll see what Josh Harris and Magic Johnson can do. Because, again, the Philadelphia 76ers are a very well-run organization. The Devils have not been too bad in hockey and – I think sometimes that, yeah, that new blood will be good for them. And, of course, we, we talked about the NBA. Last night, the Bulls defeating the Raptors 109-105. to And Chicago being down 19 points in the third quarter ultimately sets up now the Bulls taking on the Heat and the Thunder defeating the Pelicans 123-118. to And we talked about Zion Williamson doing windmills and reverse dunks. <laughs> In warm-ups, yeah. but says when Zion feels Zion. Now, there is a weight clause in his contract that he signed back in 2022 for to max out, and I just don't see the Pelicans being able to unload him financially because he does sell tickets. But at the same time, if he's dealing with mental issues, I just don't think that the fans should be able to see him out there doing windmills, and yep. reverse dunks in front of everybody. Go do that in the practice facility. Go do that in the back gym. Do that with a personal trainer at home. Don't show the fans, people who are paying their hard-earned money, and expect to get that type of support because you're going to catch backlash if you're Zion Williamson. Yeah, I think at this point, the fact that he's not – he played, what, 29 games this year or something like that? Not enough. Yeah, I mean, not enough, clearly. And, and I think at this point, the – financial aspect is is just not whatever but almost whatever because you knew he wasn't gonna it's just like almost insulting that the pelicans <laughs> lose this playing game that ends their season by five points oh it's almost like this uh supposed to be at least superstar would have made a little bit of a difference in that game herb jones played well again nate oates and uh and greg byrne made the trip all the way from tuscaloosa to new orleans to watch herb jones and kyra lewis got some time too i think he was actually the first guard off the bench for new orleans i don't i don't think he scored uh but he hadn't been playing a whole lot so it's nice to see him get at least a few minutes but yeah uh unfortunate for new orleans that their season ends we'll talk more about this on the other side but i'm i'm anti-play in tournament i i i just i i've i don't you know it's the nba bulls versus heat is what we're going to have an opportunity to see but to me 
the Pelicans being in our backyard, you always try to, whether it's the Saints or the Pelicans, the Hawks, you know, the Braves, you try to find geographically teams that are close to you for you to root and pull for. And it's hard to pull for somebody. Now, Herb Jones, my man from Alabama, he worked out last night for the Pelicans. You know, Nate Oates in the building, Alabama's athletic director in the building, come down to New Orleans, and Herb does his job, but he's got to have some help. And Zion Williamson is not that guy at this point in time for the Pelicans. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5 coming right back after this break. Hi, my name is Sherman Williams, former running back for the University of Alabama and the Dallas Cowboys. And I wake up each morning listening to WNSP 105.5. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. And we were talking about whether Zion Williamson is a total bust or not, because whether he's a bust or not, he, he's getting his money. He's one of those most explosive and electric players that, that people want to see. And his hops at 280, 285 pounds, he's been down with what they call a hamstring injury or what they're calling a hamstring injury. But again, when you see him doing those ferocious dunks and warm-ups doesn't look like the hammy's bothering too much. Maybe more of a mental aspect for Zion Williamson, mental health reasons as to why he's not playing. But, Michael, you were saying you don't like the play-in games for the NBA or you feel like they're really maybe a possibly a waste of time. Yeah, I, I think that's probably the best way to say it. it I mean, it's just typical NBA uh, creating false drama, I think is the best way to say it. Uh, it's not like any of these teams have any chance of. I mean, the NBA should be putting less teams in the playoffs, not not more teams in the playoffs. It's not like you know, if hockey, for example, where the eight seed has a legitimate chance to win the whole thing. It's like they have no chance to win the whole thing. So what? Why create more drama for the sake of creating more drama? I understand TV money, whatever, yada yada yada. Uh, it's just more Adam Silver nonsense. Where oh, like let's have this play-in tournament where these teams that have actually no chance whatsoever of competing for a championship or really probably even of winning a playoff series, well, let's throw them in a play. It's different when it's like LeBron, I guess. Uh, you know, maybe you give LeBron a chance to beat the Grizzlies a little bit. I don't know. Uh, you know, it'd be, be better off asking Nick Wiggins and Steven Root that question if, if the Lakers actually have a chance against the Grizzlies. But uh, for you know, a team like the Bulls, like, these, these teams don't have a chance to win a playoff series. So, like, it's, uh, what, what, what's the point of this? What are we doing here? I think it just boils down to, again, additional revenue. Bulls, Heat, Thunder, Timberwolves are going to be tomorrow night. And then on Saturday, that's when you really get into your game one series and your Eastern and Western Conference playoffs. Nets and 76ers, Hawks and Celtics, Knicks, Cavaliers, Warriors and Kings and that to me when you start looking at a seven game series and of course you go prime time on television that kind of moves the needle and gets people's juices flowing a lot more of course the Lakers and Grizzlies you have John Morant and LeBron James that that is prime time that's made for TV right there because you have the NBA, the stars of the NBA yeah. going at one another. And LeBron said he's not ready for his career to end. And we'll see exactly what happens. But the playing games 
or something that you don't like, Michael Bronner, and, and you say is a waste of time. But what was not a waste of time was this morning on the opening kickoff. There was a special guest, Eli Gold. It was great to hear Eli Gold joining Lee Shervanian and Mobile Christian head coach Ronnie Cottrell, who was sitting in for Mark Heim. And, you know, a lot of concerns have been there for Eli Gold's health. And Chris Stewart has done a phenomenal job sitting in for Eli Gold. But to, to hear Eli talk to Lee Shervanian this morning and being open and candid about his personal health issues and when he would be returning to the Crimson Tide. We'll share a little, a little of that interview with you, and we'll let that play, Mike. He said he's back with us. Talked to him, I guess, over the weekend. I've been keeping my fingers crossed that things would go well and that the voice of the Alabama football program, Eli Gold, would be back with us. Here he is. Good morning, sir. How are you today? I am well, gentlemen. How are you doing? We are doing wonderful. It is so. I'm serious, Eli. I don't. It is so good to hear your voice. It really is on well, WNSP. Um, why don't you? You know, I mean, we could get into sports, but I. I think it's more important now to to let people know what has been going on in your words and how are you doing right now, health wise. I'm doing fine. Uh, let's start with that. Uh, I do have another. As, as folks know, I've had cancer, and uh, I have had, uh, uh, you know, it, it's not been easy. It's not been simple by any stretch. But I do have just one more chemotherapy session to go, and the doctors are really pleased. Everybody's excited. And if the doctors are pleased, then I'm pleased. And that's, you know, I feel wonderful. Uh, I, I'm, I've had to do a lot. I, I, my legs stopped working Lee, way back uh, over a year ago. I woke up one morning, and my legs wouldn't work. I mean, I went to bed. I was walking. I walked into the bedroom. I wake up the next morning. My legs don't work. Uh, and it took a while for the people at UAB Hospital and many other hospitals to figure out exactly what was going on. Uh, they, were, they were treating me for things that were in actuality masking what was wrong with me. So they couldn't find out what was wrong with me. Uh, long story short, they finally found that I had cancer. Uh, and I got uh, the news of that on Christmas Eve. So, you know, Merry Christmas. And then uh, on New Year's Eve, uh, I started with my first, uh, my first chemotherapy treatment. And I've been doing it ever since. And I have, uh, like I said, one more. To a week from tomorrow is my last uh, chemotherapy session. And I'll be fine, Lord willing. And... Uh, you know, and we move on. It's just been very, very difficult, though. Um, you know, it's, I spent 100 and I think it was 176 or 186 days in the hospital. Okay? You understand the scope of that number. 186, I mean, over a half a year in the hospital. Uh, I, I was in and out of UAB five or six times. 
I've been to other facilities. I've been to a, a, a nursing home, uh, uh, not for nursing home standards, if you will, but because that was a place that I could get the kind of coverage and, and treatment that I needed. Uh, so I got that. I've, I've been all over the place. But um, now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm able to walk. I, I do walk best with a walker, uh, although so there's no, there's no, you know, it's not embarrassing. You got to use it. You use it. I can walk best with a walker. I can walk, you know, fairly well with a cane. I can also walk well without either one of them. But nobody really wants me to do that. You know what I'm saying? They're afraid I'll. I'll take a tumble, and then I can't get up because my legs are not yet strong enough to lift me. And um, you know the, and I say to lift me, we all chuckle. But I'm not the guy I used to be. Uh, I, I lost a hundred and forty, hundred and forty pounds, something like that. Uh, I just had no interest in eating. I, I couldn't keep anything down. I was sick. I mean, the doctors told Claudette, my wife, they told her a couple of times that I might not make it through the night. So I was a very sick boy. And uh, turns out, uh, you know, that I have gotten better. But, uh, you know, there's, there's still work to be done. Um, I'm not looking at A-Day as a return. That's not going to happen uh, a week from tomorrow, uh, a week from Saturday, rather. But um, I am, you know, Lord willing, and the creek don't rise, uh, I am planning to be back in time for the start of the regular season. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll may, I may show up with a walker, and if that's the case, you know, Big darn deal. I mean, there are tons of people who use walkers in this world. Uh, if I can get by with a cane, I'll do that, whatever it is. But, um, you know, the university has been wonderful. Uh, they have been so supportive of me, uh, and, and I appreciate that. You know, the phone will ring. It'll be Greg Vaughn. It'll be, you know, I'll, it'll be Nick Saban or Terry Saban, or let alone my bosses, you know, at, at the Learfield arm of things. Um, it, it's just been wonderful. You know, my wife has been uh, such a trooper, man. Uh, I don't know how many of your listeners have had significant illness. I'm, I'm not talking about catching a cold. I'm talking about significant illness. Well, the person who is a caregiver is, I mean, that is one of the toughest jobs in the world, Giving, being a caregiver on a long-term basis for somebody who has been ill or is ill. Uh, and, and Claudette has been spectacular. She has been, uh, well, she's looked after me. She's, I'll tell you, in all those 180 days or whatever it is that I was in the hospitals, there was maybe, maybe a week, one week altogether, when either she or Elise, our daughter, were not up in the hospital with me. Eli Gold joining Lee Shervanian this morning on the opening kickoff. Michael, and I know 
that's only half of the interview, and we wanted to just let those listeners hear Eli Gold's voice because when you've done Alabama athletics and covered Alabama for over 35 years and has been the radio announcer for Alabama football since 1988 and what Chris Stewart had to do to step into those shoes this year did a phenomenal job and just to hear Eli speak openly and candidly about trying to beat cancer the rest of the interview I know Everyone can tune in and check that out. Yeah, yeah, if you want to hear the rest of the interview. Want, definitely wanted to give you guys a chance, if you hadn't heard it this morning live, uh, to hear part of it. And if you want to hear the rest of it, go check it out uh, on WNSP Now. It's posted uh, kind of as its own separate podcast. Search WNSP Now wherever you get your podcasts. It's one of the most recent episodes from this morning, so be sure, again, WNSP Now wherever you get your podcasts. But, yeah, like you said, uh, Eli, very open and candid about a lot of the struggles he's been dealing with over the past year. And, uh, man, I, it's almost nothing short of a miracle based on, based on what he said he's been, he's been going through. And, uh, you know, we really appreciate him coming, coming on our airwaves and, uh, and, and sharing all that information with us. It, w- it was, uh, very powerful stuff this morning, certainly. Without question. And Eli is just one of those guys that's going to continue to be a fighter And I know that when you have a goal that you're trying to accomplish and you set that date, and like you mentioned, it won't be the 8A game on the 22nd. But when you start looking at that first week in September when Alabama has a home game, I think that as Eli continues to fight a treatable form of cancer, and that's the biggest thing, a treatable form of cancer for Eli Gold, the voice of the Alabama Crimson Tide football that that's what you want to see and you hope that Eli can get back and regain his strength and continue with the weight loss for that to help him as well because he talked about the weight loss shedding some 180 pounds and that's no small feat for anyone it's hard enough to lose five pounds but to lose 170 over this course of the last eight to nine months for Eli Gold I just know that Eli Gold is synonymous with bringing Alabama football into everyone's living room into everyone's home there's so many people that love to hear he and Chris Stewart do their thing with the Alabama Crimson Tide yeah that first uh touchdown Alabama it's gonna it's gonna really hit differently in September isn't it if he's able to make that I know that you know that's one of those things that you really have to to give him a standing ovation absolutely and when you hear that and if it doesn't give you the goosebumps because his pregame scripts that he writes for Alabama football and to to set the tone of a football game whether it's home or away for the Alabama Crimson Tide none better than the Hall of Famer, Eli Gold, and for him to be able to talk to Lee Shervanian this morning on the opening kickoff, you really have to to love the fact that Eli does have that goal, and he'll probably reach it here when Alabama has its first home game in September. So we wish Eli nothing but the best, but it was great to hear him. And again, if anyone would like to hear the interview in its entirety, you can do so at our platform on WNSP now 
and go ahead and search that and listen to the entire interview with Eli Gold and Lee Shervanian. Michael Bronner, we'll take a quick break right here and we'll wrap up our number two of the final drive. And don't forget the Tide and Tiger Report coming up. Stephen M. Smith from Touchdown Alabama Magazine will be joining us along with DeMarco McNeil, former All-American for the Auburn Tigers, as well as Mr. Football in the state of Alabama. He'll give us his viewpoint on Hugh Freeze and what his expectations are for this season for the Auburn Tigers. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Hi, I'm a former Major League Baseball player, Bernie Carbo. I listen to WNSP 105.5. Love every minute of it. The final drive on WNSP 105.5. Michael Bronner, along with Corey LeBounty, joining you this afternoon and coming up on the Tide and Tiger Report again. Stephen M. Smith from Touchdown Alabama Magazine will be joining us along with DeMarco McNeil. He is a former Mr. Football in the state of Alabama and went on to have great success with the Auburn Tigers as well. So we look forward to talking with DeMarco McNeil and Stephen M. Smith. And College Hill Christian Academy found a replacement for Stacy Luker. They found it in-house. I know yesterday we were talking about how long will it take administration there to find the new head coach, but Carvel Jones, he was the defensive coordinator there, and he goes ahead and takes the head coaching job there. So congratulations to Carvel Jones because the players already are very familiar with Coach Jones, and that means that there's no getting back used to or reacclimating. It's just an opportunity for Carvel to have a head coaching position at Cottage Hill Christian Academy. So look forward to that and. You know, one of the things that have gone on yesterday with AHSAA athletics as well is 7A football. We know they and all athletics in 7A. There's only 32 teams in 7A in the state of Alabama. So when you start talking about playoffs for 7A football, only 16 of those teams make it. But the schedule becomes so much of the same opponents playing one another in the playoffs that central board decided to go ahead and change that format starting in 2024. So looking forward to the mobile Baldwin County, seven, eight teams getting an opportunity to rotate and have to play a different region rather than it's region two, they'll play region three, which is great because now you'll get first round matchups between Birmingham squads along with Mobile, Baldwin County squads. And that's what you see in basketball a lot of to where you get tired of having to play the same teams over and over and again. And what it'll do, it also create possibly more opportunities to have different state champions because Thompson has really had a chokehold on 7A football. So in the state of Alabama, and that will change that a lot as well. And we did mention that the Washington Commanders being sold for $6 billion to owner Joshua Harris. And Harris already owns the Philadelphia 76ers and the New Jersey Devils. And now he's going to add 
another professional franchise to his portfolio as he will pay $6 billion along with Magic Johnson being in that group as well. So, you know, Magic Johnson is about his business, and he's already part owner of the Los Angeles Dodgers. So Magic Johnson, Starbucks, movie theaters, <laughs> NFL part owner, the portfolio continues to grow for Magic Johnson, and that's big time. And, of course, yesterday, Nick Saban made comments about the Crimson Tide having to limit the mental errors and the penalties, Michael, and I think that's going to be huge for any team, not just the Crimson Tide, not to have those pre-snap penalties that really plagued Alabama last year. Yeah, I mean, that was used to be an advantage that Alabama had which is at least one of the advantage that, advantages that Alabama had over every other team is that you knew they weren't going to make a bunch of mental errors, and that just wasn't the case uh, this past fall. So we'll see if uh, they can get things corrected. Well, hopefully they will have an opportunity to get things corrected because when you have the expectations, national championship or bust, you continue to ring in the five- and four-star recruits as Alabama was able to pick up another 2025 offensive lineman verbal commitment out of Georgia, Dontrell Glover, 6'3", 290-pound offensive lineman. Again, he's a 2025 kid, but there's a reason Nick Saban continues to have the number one recruiting class in the country. Now it's ultimately up to Coach Saban to win another natty for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Coming up next on the Tide and Tiger Report, Stephen M. Smith from Touchdown Alabama Magazine will be joining us here on WNSP 105.5. This is the Tide and Tiger Report on 105.5 FM WNSP. An hour of the latest news and reports from the Plains and the Capstone with Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner. Brought to you by State Farm Agent Heath Parker and Dr. Chris Walton of Premier Medical Eye Group. Streaming live on the Sound of Mobile app, here are Corey and Michael. Welcome to the Tide and Tiger Report here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Bronner joining you this afternoon. And we want to get the show started right with Stephen M. Smith, senior reporter for Alabama football via Touchdown Alabama magazine. Stephen, good afternoon, my friend, and I hope all is well. Doing fantastic. How are you guys feeling? Absolutely blessed by the best. And anytime you can sit here and get ready to see Alabama compete on Saturday in a, in a spring game and then get ready for their annual A-Day game on the 22nd, you know it's that time of year to where it's great fodder in regards to speculation on certain positions. And the proof will be in the pudding here in a couple of weeks for sure. It will be. It will be especially at quarterback. This race and conversation between Jamin Milrow and Ty Simpson, one that's drawing a ton of interest. Both guys have been making progress all spring. Uh, the first scrimmage, Coach Saban mentioned how both guys had some wild moments, made some big throws, navigating the offense. Tommy Reese 
has certainly come in here as an offensive coordinator and quarterback developer doing a great job. But there are other position battles that people will see, they'll look at, they'll want to have answers to these questions. But, of course, the biggest one after having Bryce Young the last two years as a starter, who steps into the shoes that big number nine leaves behind? Without question, and, and big number nine, there's been a lot of speculation as to whether he will be the number one overall quarterback taken here in a couple of weeks in the NFL draft. But wouldn't it be just historic for Alabama in regards to having a Heisman Trophy winner along with the number one overall pick if that is how the Carolina Panthers decide to take Bryce Young? incredible because this would give Coach Saban something that he's never had before. He's never produced a number one overall pick in the common draft era, no matter where his coaching stops have been. So Bryce Young has a great opportunity to give Coach Saban something that he has yet to accomplish. And uh, you know, according to reports out there, it seems like Carolina really enjoyed hosting Bryce Young. It looks like Frank Wright and David Tepper and Everybody in the Panther organization is locked in on most likely getting him with the number one overall pick. Now, I know Frank Reich, who played quarterback himself back with the uh, New York Giants, he's never had a quarterback that's, that's been shorter than six foot two in height. But we've seen Bryce Young in the SEC, the best conference in college football, slice and dice defenses up at five foot ten and one eighth of an inch. So, as long as you're able to see the field, make all the throws and avoid getting hit. You can play the game at quarterback regardless of the height. So uh, Bryce had a great bid with Carolina. We'll see which way Frank Wright is leaning, but it looks like they, they may take Bryce Young. Stephen, we've been talking a lot about the wide receiver group. Uh, I, I, I ask you because you yourself said you believe that Malik Benson, Juco transfer, is the next great receiver to come through Alabama. And while I agree with you, I, I'd love for you to tell our listeners what makes you think that. What makes me think that is going back to Pro Day uh, back on March 23rd, there was a reason why Coach Saban trusted Malik Benson to catch passes from Bryce Young out there in the indoor facility. But this young man did not drop a ball, uh, regardless of what angle Bryce Young put it out there on him. Malik Benson smooth in the routes. He's got really good speed, very, very strong hands. Routes are really crisp out there on the field. This was somebody that was a uh, JUCO All-American coming out of Hutchinson Community College in Kansas. And after Alabama did not have that consistent vertical deep threat down the field just a season ago, and, and, and really did not have that consistent number one guy that you could go to time and time again. Ja'Cory Brooks had flashes. Jermaine Burton had flashes down the back half of the season. And you saw some freshmen step up and Kobe Prince and Isaiah Bond, you know, among others. But you really didn't have that number one guy that you had in the past, a Julio Jones, a Mari Cooper, a Calvin Ridley, a Jerry, Judy, Devontae Smith, a Jamison Williams that you just knew that is that guy. And I could depend on that guy come whatever happens. So I look at Malik Benson as a guy that can be that guy, can take the top off the defense, can be a security blanket, can be a vertical downfield threat in the passing game. So that's why I look at him as a guy that can be that number one guy just due to he's got some strong hands on him. 
We're speaking with Stephen M. Smith. Does a phenomenal job with his coverage of the Alabama Crimson Tide for Touchdown Alabama Magazine. And when, when you start looking defensively, for the Alabama Crimson Tide. Of course, all eyes have definitely here in Mobile, Alabama, been on the health of Deontay Lawson. And I know you had an opportunity to kind of cover how Deontay Lawson's health is going and where he will be positioning himself for the fall. Well, Deontay, according to Coach Saban, he had uh, a surgery here in the offseason this spring, so he has missed or he will miss uh, the entire spring practice, but nothing too, too severe of a team is expecting Lawson to be able to go, summer workouts, fall camp, uh, and, of course, the upcoming season. I see Lawson slotted as that weak side linebacker, that, that wheel linebacker next to whoever plays at that Mike linebacker role, whether it's Kendrick Blackshire, a young man who came in the same class with Lawson 2021, or maybe the transfer from Georgia, Tresman Marshall, who's had a pair of a spring. Coach Saban very pleased with his maturity, his versatility, his toughness, and what he brings out there. But I see Lawson more than likely starting at that weak side back position. He got valuable experience last year, 11 games, four starts, 51 tackles, uh, a couple of those for loss, two and a half, four pass breakups, really showed up in that Sugar Bowl there against Kansas State, taking down Deuce Vaughn in the backfield quite a few times. He's got this slasher mentality where Deontay will shoot the gap like a boat out of fire, get in the backfield, create havoc there, create pressure, make plays. So and he's a guy that brings that experience and that coachability that Nick Saban loves. So I, I hate the fact that he would he's not been able to compete out there and spring ball. you got to believe the young man is anxious to get back on the field, but he'll be good to go uh, by the time the summer rolls in. Without question, and a lot of the talk has been about Caleb Downs. I know Scott Hunter, when we're talking spring football here on Tuesdays on WNSP, he said that's really been all he's heard about, and he's looking forward to to seeing Caleb Downs and Malachi Moore as well. We talked about Malachi earlier this week on this show about how he found himself on the bench and whether that was due to injury or just dudes being better than he was. But I think that Malachi Moore can find his way back on the field and find a redemption story in and of itself. Oh, absolutely. And where Malachi's concerned, it was, it was injury-related. I mean, we're talking about a young man, 2020, who came in and lit the world on fire as a freshman. We're talking six pass breakups, three interceptions, a fumble return for a touchdown, helping Alabama in a COVID-shortened year win a, a national championship. And uh, he missed the last three games of his freshman season because of back spasms. And those back spasms continued into a sophomore year, but not just back spasms. He also suffered from shin splits. So you have, you have two compound injuries, one on top of another. It was very difficult for Malachi, and that was the reason why you saw more of him relegated to special teams. And Brian Branch took that rise there at that nickel position. But now with Malachi healthy, uh, more adding healthy weight to his frame, he's now at 198 pounds, close to that 200-pound sort of a frame there. He got, he got looked at that free safety position in Alabama's first scrimmage. They really good spot for him because that's the position he played in high school. Hewitt Trustville, uh, right over there with Coach Josh Floyd. 
Now, in the secondary, it will come down to who wins that star position, that nickel corner spot. If Earl Little the second redshirt freshman, if he takes that nickel role, that would put Malachi square at free safety. But now, if there's some struggles there at nickel from Earl Middle or some of the younger guys, the next day you will keep Malachi at nickel, and you will see somebody else there in that safety role with uh, King of Downs, who has really turned it on the spring of the freshman. It's not even look like a freshman. He's over 200 pounds, built like a tank, but can move, can flip his hips, so fluid, tremendous footwork. The guy's just an absolute natural instinct baller. And I feel like he would be a fit right there at that strong safety position. But I think whoever plays that star role, whether it's Earl uh, Middle, whether it's Malachi Moore, if Bama can get all the pieces in order here in the secondary, that back end could be something special. Well, you brought up Brian Branch a little bit as he relates to Malachi and kind of passing him on the depth chart. I Personally, I think Branch could end up being the best Alabama player drafted this year. I mean, do you see him more as a safety in the NFL, as a slot corner, or is, or is the NFL kind of just going the way of positionless football in the secondary? I, th- I, think, it's, I think it's positionless football. I mean, he could play nickel corner. We saw it at Alabama. He can play safety. He did it a lot at high school, Sandy Creek High School in Georgia. So he can play both spots. I mean, he's kind of a tweener in that area but highly instinctive, can track the football, can blitz, can fight off uh, players to go, come down, he'll make tackles, is very good at run support. He's a Swiss Army knife. He can do a little bit of everything, kind of like Minka Fitzpatrick when he played at Alabama, and now we're seeing Minka in the NFL do everything for the Pittsburgh Steelers. So it, it's positionless football. It just depends on which team in that first round. I believe between picks 15 and 25, I'll look at it, okay, we see value here in Brian Branch, but which team, Middleton late first round, will roll that dice? A lot of people really have kind of forgotten with this quarterback draft heavy Will Anderson Jr., and he's someone that I think can be very productive for many years in the NFL and, of course, taking those double and triple teams on his entire season last year at Alabama, but Will Anderson Jr., I still think that he's possibly a top four or five pick that can, again, extend that legacy of Alabama players being drafted very highly in the first round. Oh, absolutely. And what's crazy is, despite all the double and triple teams he faced last year, he still finished with 10 sacks. He still finished with double-digit sack numbers. He ended his career 34 and a half sacks, second to only Derek Thomas. 62 tackles for loss, the only unanimous two-time All-American in the in the history of Alabama football, two-time Bronco Nagurski Award winner, two-time SEC Defensive Player of the Year. The man took home every accolade imaginable. And I, I look at, at the number two overall pick, the Houston Texans, this is interesting, I don't see D'Amico Lyons taking a quarterback in his first draft as a head coach of the Texans. But I can see the former Alabama linebacker taking a Will Anderson here at number two overall. If Houston doesn't make the move, you've got the Arizona Cardinals that could take Anderson at number three. You've got the Seattle Seahawks sitting there at five. You know how Pete Carroll loves those defensive guys. Pete Carroll in Seattle could take Will at number five. And you even got the Detroit Lions and Dan Campbell over there. The Lions could make a move here as Anderson has been that organization. So 
I don't see him coming out of the top five. I look at number two, uh, D'Amico Ryan. I can clearly see uh, Will Anderson going to Houston. But if Houston doesn't make the move, Arizona, Seattle, I just I just don't see a situation where Anderson falls out of that top five. Yeah, I agree with you. I know that we had a Raiders writer on and, and a Raiders personality. They were praying that he'll fall to them at seven. I just don't see that happening. And one of the things... Stephen, that, that's also interesting to me is Terion Arnold talking, I would say, big, big talk. I mean, if you're going to talk that talk, you better walk that walk in regards to how the defense is going to have to play from a secondary standpoint. He says he wants this to be one of the most dominant defenses ever for the University of Alabama. I think the secondary, again, will have a lot of work to do in limited explosive plays, but Terrion Arnold making that that statement, I think, was pretty bold. It was bold, but I think I think this team can pull this off. Number one, you got to cut down the penalties, and that was what, what I was Coach Saban's message all day Wednesday. You go back to last year, Alabama had games where it had so many penalties and penalties that killed drives. Uh, for, for, for its offense and penalties on defense that suspend, that sustained drives or kept drives going for the opposition. So you got to cut down the penalties. You got to cut down the errors. You got to play disciplined football. That's first and foremost. And then number two, you got to create those turnovers. Alabama did not have those turnovers that were known to see and it get. So if it can hammer down those two areas, then this will be a national championship defense. We've seen Saban make the moves in the offseason. You go bring back a Kevin Steele, a wealth of defensive knowledge across the board. He knows who he is, and college football knows who he is. You bring in a Robert Bonner from Liberty, a young teacher for these inside linebackers. He's not going to be asked to run the whole defense, just have the inside linebackers right. And so far, he's doing a fine job of that in spring ball. You got Travis Robinson coaching the entire defensive secondary. The guys trust him. He knows what he's doing. He's coached defensive secondaries across his coaching career. He played DB at Auburn, played DB in the NFL. So you, you got him right there. Are you bringing a Ken Wisenhunt, special assistant to Coach Saban, a tough-minded guy? You bring in a Charlie Strong back as a defensive analyst. You bring in a Ha Ha Clinton Dix, a former player that's working in the player development role. He's already invoking that tough-minded culture back into the building. So in my opinion, if Alabama can clean the penalties out of the way and be able to create those turnovers, then this can be one of those strong defenses. But they've got to get those two things hammered down. Over the next, the portal does open up on the 15th this coming Saturday. I, I don't you know, really know where Alabama would want to go in the portal, but with with the opportunity to try to get players like a Jameer Gibbs or whoever else can continue to contribute to this roster, the recruiting has been second to none by Nick Saban and Sterling Dixon Jr., the, the five-star defensive end here from Mobile Christian, is already verbally committed to Alabama. But where do you think Alabama could possibly go in the in the portal to continue to add depth to this year's team? I think the big question, I think the big thing for that would be uh, it would determine on after the spring game, uh, after the spring game, the amount of players that see where they are on the roster in relation to where they want to be on the depth chart 
And I think from there, we can make a case for, okay, how much to save and dip into this portal and at what position. I think right now it's kind of hard to tell, but after the spring game and once we start to see some players feel like, okay, I'm not where I thought I was going to be, let me go elsewhere to see if I can get playing time elsewhere, then we can have a clear depiction of uh, how much can save and dip in this portal. So I think that question will be better suited after the spring game. Talking to Stephen M. Smith, touchdown Alabama Mag. Stephen, where do you see the quarterback battle as of right now? Does, does either of these guys have an edge? Well, right, right, right now, I mean, it's neck and neck. I mean, it is tie, tie is not giving up an inch. Jalen Miro is not giving up an inch. It is neck and neck right now. And I feel like it may continue that way until the through fall camp. I mean, both of these two have made huge improvement. You're looking at Jalen Milrow. The footwork looks better. The ball's coming out of his hands better. Uh, the mechanics are cleaner. It feels like he's been working with a private quarterback coach before spring practice even started. And that now Tommy Reese is built on to what Jalen Milrow's already been working on. When you look at Ty Simpson, you see the tight spiral. You see the ball come out of his hands. You see his footwork. You see his process and ability. So both of these two guys, neither one has clearly separated as that dude yet. After the first scrimmage, I mean, both guys made wow throws. Both guys had moments where you looked at either one of these two because not going to be the starting quarterback. So I, I, I look at we'll see even more in spring practice. We'll see in the A-Day game which one can take that step and we'll see if one struggles or not but as of right now I can clearly see this thing going through fall camp because neither one is shrinking an inch well what's been interesting to me too is in the first two media sessions in regards to after the scrimmages and after the practice coach Saban really hasn't come out with the guns a-blazing, and he hasn't really said, okay, this is rat poison. Uh, he, he's been kind of humble and meek, and I don't know if that's a older and wiser Nick Saban or he's just setting us up to really lay the boom and rip into his team either after this Saturday scrimmage or in next week's practice in preparation for the A-Day game. One thing about Coach Saban, he, he, he is calculated. So whatever mood he is in, he has planned it up. And whether he's planned up at this meek and kind of reserve move and keeping everything silent, or whether he's planned the move of, I'm just going to rip into everybody, every move he puts in motion is planned. Uh, the one thing I can say is he loves the energy, the enthusiasm, and the discipline that's inside this program right now. He loves the, the coaching hires he has made and how these coaching hires have got every single player bought into we know what we have to do. We know what happened the last two years. We know what team won the national championship the last two years. So we know the work that we have to do to get to where we need to be. Let's put this work into motion. And everybody has locked into we have to put this in motion. Outside of the quarterback battle, which, again, is national talk and everybody wants to know, what are you looking forward to seeing the most on the 22nd in the 8A game and moving into when we do have the fifth quarter workouts and going and getting ready for fall football? Just domination from the inside linebacker play again. That's my eyes will be on. Alabama has not had that fearsome dominant play at both inside linebacker spots since, you know, Sean Deion Hamilton and Rashawn Evans. 
mean, Mac Wilson did well, too. But the combination of Sean Dion and Rashawn was the last time you really saw, wow, that is dominant from the inside linebacker spot. And that, that's what my eyeballs will be on because there's a direct correlation to uh, national championships in the, in the Nick Saban era where Alabama is concerned that inside linebacker play. And whether it's Deontay Lawson, Kendrick Blackshaw in the middle, whether it's Lawson and Tristan Marshall in the middle, or whoever are the two guys in the middle at both linebacker spots, that's where my eyeballs will be focused at. Can Alabama get back to having those mean slashers, head hunters at those two positions? Stephen M. Smith joining us here on the Tide and Tiger Report. And, Stephen, I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule to talk all things Crimson Tide football. How can people follow you and all the great works that you have? Because I know you're on multiple platforms for all the Alabama Crimson Tide fans to continue to enjoy. Oh, absolutely. They can, they can find the work there at touchdownalabama.com. That is Touchdown Alabama. Com, we are clocking uh, the Crimson Tide football program from all facets. Uh, they can find me personally on Twitter at Coaching M. Smith. That's at Coaching M. Smith right there on Twitter. Uh, Facebook, don't use that as much, but Facebook, you can find me, Stephen M. Smith, on Facebook. Stephen M. Smith, can't thank you enough, and a big roll tide to you, my friend. Appreciate you guys. Y'all take care. Doesn't get any better than Stephen M. Smith and his insights and his analysis on all things Alabama football on this Tide and Tiger Thursday on WNSP. Coming up next, we'll have DeMarco McNeil joining us here on the Tide and Tiger Report again. A former Mr. Football, an Auburn All-American. He'll give us his insights on what it means to be an Auburn man. Hey, this is Amari Cooper. You're listening to Sports Radio WNFP. Welcome back to the Tide and Tiger Report. Call now at 694-1055 or take part on the WNSP app. Once again, Corey and Michael. The Tide and Tiger Report here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with Michael Brauner joining you this afternoon and want to thank Stephen M. Smith for joining us, talking all things Alabama and talking some Auburn football is a state's Mr. Football in the 1998 from Blunt High School. And he leaves Blunt and goes on to become a freshman All-American at Auburn University. And then in 2003 was an all-SEC selection for the Auburn Tigers. DeMarco McNeil joins us this evening. DeMarco, how's it going, my friend? Uh, everything good on my How about yourself? Man, I'm absolutely too blessed to be stressed. Thank you for asking. And, you know, when we have our Tide and Tigers segment on Thursdays, I said I, I want to call DeMarco because I know that, you know, you're, you're one of the realest people that I know in regards to just giving the truth and, and when it comes down to, to saying what you see and seeing what you say, never at a loss for words, but being an Auburn man, I know that this past Saturday you had an opportunity to see the A-Day game and most fans would say, look, it was raining, it was wet, 
But what do you feel the Auburn Tigers have to do in 2023 to be successful? Um, you know, to go back on what you said, actually, I, 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 I didn't. I went to the A-Day game, but then when it started warming up and stuff, I had to get out of there. I didn't want to sit in the rain or what have you. I couldn't fight it like everybody else. I'm not as young as I used to be, but I did um, hear about it. And But I just think that they have to uh, play, you know, complimentary football. Um you know, just leaning on all three sides of the ball, you know, offense, defense, and special teams. Um, I think they're going to have to do a great job of running the ball and playing keep away and um, creating a short ball game. Um, you know, right now I don't think it's as much, you know, as much talent as you want on the planes right now. And so you got to do um, some things uh, probably that you're not accustomed to doing, and I think one of those things is shortening the game and try to be optimistic in the uh, as far as take, uh, turnovers is concerned, and, and just try to get it to the fourth quarter, uh, especially when you play the the, the upper echelon teams in the SEC. Yeah, I think that's going to be very important. And one of the things that a lot of Auburn fans are talking about is the quarterback position, and I think that personally seeing the Auburn Tigers and from what I've heard that the transfer portal that opens up on Saturday is probably where one of the leading candidates to start for Auburn may be next year. Yeah. Um, I, I would, I would think so. I'm not, you know, not sure if they're looking for a quarterback or anybody in the portal or what have you, but, um, I don't see why not uh, create a little competition or probably light a little fire up under uh, TJ and Robbie in, in, in particular. And, um, and hopefully we can. I'm quite sure the guys, I'm, I'm quite sure uh, Hugh has a, you know, the ace of spade, you know, hiding it right now, just waiting for a great time to play it. So hopefully that's what it will be uh, once the portal opens. One of the biggest things, DeMarco, that I've heard a lot of former Auburn Tigers talk about is the disappointment in regards to the, the prior head coach, Coach Harson, reaching out and unifying not only the fan base but the former alumni, the former players. But I think Hugh Freeze has done an outstanding job of lighting a fire back under the Auburn fans, the recruiting fan base, and really going throughout the state of Alabama, learning these high school coaches, making himself visible to these student athletes as well. Yes, uh, I think he's doing. Well, I think he's doing what you're supposed to do uh, if you want to be successful here in the SEC. Uh, you know, everybody knows that uh, recruiting is a big part of. Um, Trying to win ball games in the SEC, um, you know, some people think it's about the X in, in the O's and how you can coach, but uh, more times than not, it's about the Jimmy and the Joes who you can put out there. No matter how good uh, you are, you think you are as a coach, uh, you're only as good as your players. And so uh, I just think he's doing what you should do up to par. Um, I know, I know you're doing a great job on the recruiting trail still early, you know, out there in the recruiting trail. And I'm uh, just looking forward to um, Coach Freeze and his staff on doing a great job against some great players and um, to play good football on the plane. 
We're talking to DeMarco McNeil, Mr. Football in the state of Alabama in 1998 from Blunt High School. And, of course, played for the legendary Ben Harris and really had an opportunity to take what he learned growing up under Coach Harris's tutelage, took him on the plains. And as a freshman, DeMarco, when you were thrown out there, did you have any idea that you would be a freshman All-American when you set foot on the plains back in the early 2000s? Uh, I didn't have a clue, actually. Um, you know, I, I, my first game, you know, I ended up starting where I registered my first year and then my registered freshman year. Um, I wasn't I wasn't slated to start the first game up until someone got hurt in the middle of the week, like on the Wednesday, what happened. So I got bumped up the first team and, um, and played good football early on and was able to keep my position the whole year. But just going there, just think that you're going to be a freshman All-American or what have you, that don't, that don't happen. It shouldn't happen. I mean, a lot of people know they got confidence, but uh, when you have guys in front of your veteran laden team or what have you, and you just want to go out there and try to contribute, try to um, play as much as you can and, and, and not embarrass yourself. So um, that's the approach I took. And once I got comfortable out there on the field, I just, you know, just played my game. DeMarco, now as an assistant at South Carolina as an, in an analyst role, what what is it like being not necessarily a direct rival of Auburn but still uh, coaching at a different SEC school? No, well, you know, I'm, I'm not there anymore. Um, you know, I was, you know, I used to coach. But, um, you know, it's like it's like playing your older brother in, a, in or playing someone, a family member that you know. You want to beat them more than you want to beat anyone else that you don't know. So um, we, was, we had the opportunity to play Auburn um, when I was there coaching, and uh, we ended up getting the victory, actually, and so that felt pretty good. Um, went into that ball game pretty confident. And um, so um, when you play someone, when you play old school, you want, you want to win that game, no question about it. Um, you know, you just like playing a, an older brother or a great friend or a cousin or family member. Uh, so you can go back to the uh, cookouts and the barbecues or and the gatherings or what have you. You can be able to talk a little noise. Well, not only talking a little noise, DeMarco McNeil, our guest here on the Tide and Tiger Report. You you mentioned your time at South Carolina and your time at Alabama State. Is is coaching something that you still would love to do moving forward? Because again, I know when. You and I and Coach Harris had an opportunity to have some lunch together. Just the amount of knowledge and wisdom that I was hearing from you guys was second to none. Uh, yes, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a coach, hopefully this year. Um, actually, I had a couple of interviews uh, for high school head coaching jobs here in Alabama. Uh, one still pending. So, um, actually, I went through the interview process Tuesday, so... Hopefully it'll work out, and um, you know I just you know want to get back into coaching, high school coach. I want to be able to mentor young young kids and young young you know the youth in a sense. Um, I don't know if I want to get back to college. Not quite sure. Uh, I think pro um, football is intriguing, but right now I would rather coach high school ball, uh, be a head coach at a high school. 
and um and lead and mentor young men. Well, I tell you, you know, you, you learn from the best and Ben Harris in your time at Blunt and are able to call upon him at any given time. What what is one of your most memorable moments being an Auburn Tiger, putting on that orange and blue and white and running out at Jordan Harris Stadium? What game or what moment do you remember the most? Um, I think I can go back to two moments in particular. Um one when we played Alabama, I was a red shirt freshman. We played them uh, in Tuscaloosa. That was, I think that was the first game, in, you know. And Auburn played Alabama, Tuscaloosa in the hundred or so years or what have you. We ended up winning the game uh, nine zero, and uh, I had a pretty good game. It was cold, windy, wet. It was everything you won the football game if you was playing. Now, if you were watching the game, you probably weren't too enjoyable. But, um, you know, that game really stands out. That was my first Iron Bowl uh, that I played in. And then another time was um, when we played um, Alabama in 2002. We had just lost a heartbreaking game to, uh, to Georgia. We had a chance to go to the SC Championship. Lost the game to Georgia last second, and I was, I was, I was messed up after that game, you know. And I'm walking back to my car, getting ready to go um, home after the game, and I just asked myself, kind of, you know, not seriously, but I just asked myself, why am I here? You know, I didn't understand why was I here. I was so hurt, you know. So not saying I was going to, you know, do some harm to myself, but I kept asking myself that question: Why am I here? And then the next week, we played Alabama and Tuscaloosa again, and uh, they was heavily favored. And uh, we ended up winning that game, uh, 17-7, uh, dominated. And then I answered my question. I'm like, this is why you're here. So those two games right there in particular really stands out for me. And those two moments, um, it's something I would I remember for a lifetime. Without question, DeMarco McNeil, former Auburn All-American, joining us this evening on the Tide and Tiger Report. And you mentioned about just having an opportunity to, to be back at Jordan-Harris Stadium. Talk about the growth since or of the campus since you were there back in 2003 and the expansion and just seeing the excitement be built back by Cadillac Williams toward the latter part of the season and, and the overall enhancements, the new multi-million dollar or almost a billion dollar enhancements from facility standpoints around the campus of Jordan-Hare. Yes, um, the campus is definitely growing. Things are around uh, the campus is uh, unique and um Nice for the students. Um, definitely have a, a college atmosphere. Um, even more so, more enhanced. Um, Auburn is a great place to be. You know, I actually, you know, I reside here in Auburn now, so I see the growth every day. Every day, you you see some kind of construction going on. So, uh, Auburn is definitely growing and expanding. Uh, one day, it's like going to reach Tuskegee, but um, you keep you keep going. You know, broadening out, but. Uh, with the excitement that uh, Coach Cadillac brought in those last four games of the year was exciting. Uh, something I was, you know, you know, I cherished and uh, I enjoyed uh, tremendously. Just getting back to Auburn football, the Auburn spirit, 
uh, actually cheer for Auburn, you know, kind of hurt when you lose, when they lost. Uh, I, I can honestly say when when Harson was there, I was, I was just hoping they win, not you know, not necessarily invested, you know, just hope they win and they didn't win. And when I wasn't, you know, hurt or thought anything of it, but when Calais took on the, the interim role. Um, you know, I, it seemed like I was vested a little bit more watching the games and excited to watch the games. And um, I'm just glad that uh, Cadillac brought that excitement back to the Plains and hopefully, um, you know, even pass the baton to um, Coach Freeze and, and continue that uh, excitement that we had at the end of the season last year. No question about it. And, and we had – a former player on last week as well. What what does it mean when people say you're an Auburn man? What does it mean to be an Auburn man? Uh, just you know, man with integrity, uh, a man's man. You know, um, you ask him a question, he'll give you an answer. You know, if he say he's gonna be somewhere, he's gonna do it. Um, you know, that's why I consider being an Auburn man is you know that you know standing on on their own two feet. Um, you know, and it's, it's, it's a special thing to be an Auburn man, though, honestly. Um, better than Gator Boy from Florida or I don't know what Alabama calls themselves. You know, they just <laughs> go to Alabama, go to Bama, you know. But uh, just being an Auburn man is a special uh, fraternity to be in, and I'm grateful for the you know, chance to be an Auburn man in, in the time that I spent at Auburn because I met a, great, uh, a bunch of – uh, great friends, you know, lifetime friends on the planes, and, um, you know, just I'm thankful for those relationships. DeMarco McNeil joining us here on the Tide and Tiger Report. Can't thank you enough, my friend, for your time, and we look forward to talking to you very soon. Oh, man, anytime. Anytime you need, just give me a bill. I'll be here for you. Will do. Mr. Football in the state of Alabama in 1998. Went on to have an All-American career at Auburn. We'll be back to put the finishing touches on today. Hey there, this is Bob Baumauer, ex-jock, head fry cook, and I listen to 105.5 WNSP, Mobile, Alabama. Welcome back to the Tide and Tiger Report. Call now at 694-1055 or take part on the WNSP app. Once again, Corey and Michael. The Tide and Tiger Report getting ready to wrap up and make room for the prep spotlight with Pigskin Pete and Brian Gennard in the building. And, of course, we want to thank Stephen M. Smith from Touchdown Alabama Mag for joining us along with DeMarco McNeil, former Auburn All-American who is really optimistic and hopeful about the Auburn Tigers under the leadership of Hugh Freeze this year. So always great to talk and catch up with DeMarco along with speaking with Stephen M. Smith on the Thursday's Tide and Tiger Report. And earlier today, again, we had Jim Nagy on along with Lindsey Crosby. And we had the Senior Bowl, the Reese's Senior Bowl Hall of Fame selections come out. And you can go back and check out the podcast. And if you missed any of the great 
interview that we had on the Tide and Tiger Report with Stephen M. Smith or DeMarco McNeil. Of course, Michael, it will be available for podcast. You already know where you can get that. WNSP Now. Search it up wherever you get your podcasts. Apple, Spotify, wherever you can get opening kickoff. You can get our show as well as all of our online-only shows as well as our uh, once-a-week shows. So WNSP Now, wherever you get your podcasts. Plenty of to talk about tomorrow. Shane Hallam from the NFL Draft will join us. Michael Sean Duggar talking with the Seahawks draft in Alabama, an Auburn player in the first round. JT Crabtree joins us along with Charlie Potter from 24-7 and Bama Online joining us tomorrow. For Michael Bronner, I'm Corey Labounty making room for the prep spotlight coming up next here on WNSP 105.5.